It's Depression Mode. I'm John Moe. I'm glad you're here. I love being entertained. I like watching the TV shows. I enjoy the movies. And I know that these things are more than diversions, more than a relaxing way to fill a couple hours in the evening. Cultures are driven by stories, and these are our stories. Movies, TV, books, music, theater, epic poems told around a fire. This is how we understand each other and ourselves as communities of people. An artist, and let's use that term for the makers of all these things, we'll call them artists, an artist sees life and reflects it back, or refracts it back, through the stories presented. We as the audience then see our world. We interpret the behavior of the characters as to how we would handle the same situations if we were in their shoes, how similar or different we are to those characters. We get comfort from lives we can relate to, and we stretch, we expand when we see choices and behaviors that are strange and foreign to us. This is what makes us human, these stories. You ever see a movie made by a spider? No. I mean, even if they could operate a camera, they have no good original ideas. Spiders are hacks. So then, when it comes to mental health, portrayals matter. Portrayals of mental illness matter a lot because they frame how we see mental health in real life. If those stories, those portrayals are good and honest, they can be helpful. And if they're dishonest, they can warp a lot of perspectives on exactly what mental illness is and what it does to someone. This stuff is important. We wanted to make a little guide to healthy viewing here, some tips on movies and TV that, to put it simply, get it right. And also some cautionary warnings about movies and TV that get it wrong. A little later in the show, tips from you, the listeners, gathered from our Facebook discussion group, Preshies. But first, some expert opinion. Travel Anderson is the co-host of Fanti here on the Maximum Fun Network. It's a podcast that talks about things that are great and the not-so-great side of things that are great. Some ambivalence regarding pop culture entertainment. Hello, Travel. Hello. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. And from Pop Culture Happy Hour, our dear friend Linda Holmes. Hello, Linda. Hi, John. Hi, Travel. Hi. This is great. Now, I sort of feel like I'm on one of your shows, just introducing guests. And it's, you know, I'm, I'm playing dress up in other podcasts formats. Um, <laughs> but Linda and Travel, we've given you some homework to, to bring back some things that you thought might get it right and, and possibly some things that might get it wrong. Linda, what have you come up with? So the thing that I brought that I think gets it the most, one of the things that gets it the most right for me was the the CW show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend um, from Rachel Bloom. And of course, when this show first came on, I think people quite understandably, you know, looked at that title and thought, well, this sounds like a disaster. Um, right. And it turned out to be, I think, a very, very insightful show, actually, about mental illness. It took several years. You know, you talked about this, um, this idea of like the half hour solution. It took several years for her to even get a proper diagnosis. And she suffered, you know, a lot of of great difficulties during that time. But there is a, uh, as a lot of people will know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend was a musical television show. And there is a, there's a song that she sang at one point. She actually was in jail, but it's somewhat beside the point. She, 
was in a major depressive episode. And she sang a song that's called No One Else Is Singing My Song. And (laughs) the irony of it is she's in this major depressive episode and a couple of the other characters on the show are also at real kind of low points in in their lives. And so, of course, it's three people singing a song called No One Else Is Singing My Song, which is sort of the, the irony is, is, is quite intentional. And it's all about, you know, nobody else could possibly sing this song with me. Does anyone understand? Would anyone understand? Could anyone understand? Of course not, because no one else is singing my song. And so part of it is this sense of, you know, you're never quite as alone in your feelings as you think you are. But at the end of the song, after they have broadened out to show that many of the people who she knows in her life have have struggled with these very difficult moments, what separates her as someone who is in a major depressive episode from them is that they... There is a sort of a split screen effect where you see that all these people are singing together. Kind of picture those like Jimmy Fallon and the Roots things where everybody's in their own little Brady Bunch box and they're all singing. (laughs) I think they they get up to like 18 voices at some point. Yeah, And then they start, the other people in the other boxes start to look around and see each other. And they see that there are other people singing with them and it's comforting to them, right? She is the only person who doesn't see the other people. She is the only person who doesn't notice that there are these people around her who are also feeling sad, who can offer her support. And what I admire about it so much and why I felt when I first saw it like it was so accurate to some of my experiences of depression is that it really emphasizes how your perceptions of the world become unreliable. And so the difference, you know, it is not just feeling really down because this is the whole point is that everybody knows what it is like to feel really down. But she is in it in this major depression and therefore her perceptions of the world are so colored by that that she cannot connect to these other people who could theoretically support her. So I hope I'm explaining this well, but that, but what I what I love about it is that it is it, there's also like a little bit of this edge of kind of her, you know, people talking about I you know nobody else can possibly understand my my sadness because I'm so special, and there's mm-hmm. just the slightest edge of kind of teasing a little bit, and because it comes from, it's sort of that nobody can make fun of my little brother except me, right? It's that feeling of because she's somebody who's done so much work about about mental illness that I have admired so much. When she gets a little bit into that thing where like when people are really down, they just they just feel like my feelings are so special and dramatic. (laughs) Nobody Um, else has ever felt this way. Nobody else has ever felt this way. And I just admire it so much. And I think that show in general was so sensitive about about these issues one of the few times i've ever seen a thing about mental health on television and been like Mwah, that's it that's it i i feel embraced by this travel are, are you familiar with this show do you know the song that linda's talking about i know the song because she sent it to us via email in advance okay. um and so uh-huh. i did check it out and i am familiar with the show and i think one of the points that linda makes that you know 
oftentimes, and you made it as well, oftentimes when we see, you know, TV shows in particular that deal with mental illness of some sort, oftentimes it's boiled into one episode. It's just like one quick storyline. And I think uh, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend is a good example of it being something that's recurring. So you, you really get the chance to see the entire journey through that experience with that character. And so I love that show. It's it's interesting to me because especially the early episodes and I've I've talked with with Rachel Bloom about this in the past and and it is pretty deliberate what she did was was you know that had the West Covina song at the beginning and it's and it's all very it's musical but it's like a stage musical almost like it's it's romantic comedy and then by the time you get into these these later seasons and the later episodes and you know she stops wearing makeup and you know it gets it gets pretty rough it's like okay is this a comedy is this a drama you know and and of course when you ask somebody a question like that, they'll always say, yes, it's yes. both those things. Well, this is the old question about whether depression is funny, which yeah. you've been known to ask, John Mo. <laughs> it's, I, I have been known to ask. You were one of the people who said, no, it's not. Um, yeah. Yeah. But, um, but it does make me think in terms of musical, how in, in the classical sense of musical, the, the people will sing when the feelings are too overwhelming to put into regular speech. And I think that kind of stays consistent, mm. too. Yeah, it's, a, it's just, I think it's always worth saying that everybody's experience of mental illness is different. And this happens to be a, a white woman who loves musicals and singing and, and is sort of like a, a rough contemporary of, of me. So the fact that I felt so seen by this has many, many factors, right? And I yeah. also just want to like briefly say, like that song was one of the writers of that song is Adam Schlesinger, who died uh, in 2020 um, of COVID, actually. Right. Um, a, a brilliant, brilliant musician who who was a big part of that show as well. And I just want to acknowledge that work. Yeah. All right. So Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which has concluded its run, we should say, but is available on on streaming platforms. One For sure. One assumes, because all all entertainment is available instantly everywhere now. I hope. Yes, and and again, that song is called "No One Else Is Singing My Song," and you can also just find it on YouTube. Yeah, that's true. Travell Anderson, uh, what did you what did you bring to the party today? So I didn't follow the rules. Okay, okay. you warned um, us that you would not follow rules. I did. Okay, <laughs> because I was racking my brain trying to think of like what a good representation of depression looks like. And so, and I also wanted to explicitly have like black characters in particular. And so I found myself struggling, I'm going to admit. And so I turned to Twitter to ask people what they, you know, shows or films that they, and they were very helpful, although Uh I disagree with some of them. And so I want to give a disclaimer that my answers today, you know, Parts of it are good and parts of it might not be so good. Okay. Well, okay. I mean, good thing you're an expert and can parse those out for us. <laughs> I'm going to do my best. All right. Then. And so, so wait, you're, you're a fan of these things, but also somewhat <laughs> anti these things? <laughs> hmm. That's a strange combination. <laughs> that sounds like a podcast. Yeah. Sounds like Go a podcast. Ahead. How can those Next two fun. things exist How at the same things, time? What would we call it? I think we would call it, oh, I don't know. I'll have to Antifa. think about it. I think it's Antifa. 
All right, I'll, I'll just, I'm going to think about brainstorming an All idea right. for All that right. podcast. Yeah. Go ahead, Travel. Go ahead. That wasn't on purpose, FYI. <laughs> but uh, so I, I think the one that I'm going to say that I, I really enjoyed its depiction, I'll put it that way was on the most recent season of Queen Sugar, which was set in the pandemic. One of the characters by the name of Hollywood, um, played by Omar Dorsey, you know, it has a multi-episode arc in which he is depressed, but like it's never named depression. And, you know, like I said, it's it's set during COVID times. And for those who haven't seen the show, it's about this, you know, black family in Louisiana they're farmers they own a farm and so it's about how they're you know battling the racist white people who want to take over their land but also now battling COVID and how it impacts rural black communities in particular and so throughout the season you know uh, Hollywood's mother dies um, and then he's also dealing with what we're all dealing with, you know, um, as it relates to the pandemic. And I thought that the portrayal was, it was sensitive and it was caring. Um, and you could see that there was like a tenderness to it, um, which I really appreciated because we all, many of us are still living through the collection of those types of emotions that the character was going through. Um, and that is one that stuck out to me as being, on the whole positive because it, it showed somebody going through their process, whatever their process is. And it wasn't something that was like wrapped up in just one episode. Um, and that's what really resonated with me. Is it a situation where the character maybe had some, some mental health issues going into it, but then it's exacerbated by the COVID by is, is it, you know, something that was already there and then fanned a little bit? I think very tiny, right? Because I think at the be late last season, at the beginning of this season, current season, he he has these plans of like things that he wants to do. He finally wants to start, you know, doing his own thing as opposed to just supporting his fiance who becomes his wife during the series, during the season. And so he has all of these great plans and then COVID upends it. And I think it I think that's the catalyst for him just like having everything ripped from under him and then having to navigate what that all feels like. And then his mother dies from COVID. And so that exacerbates it, right? It was just really done very smartly um, by the writers and folks over there. Shout out to Ava DuVernay. And that was something that, that I felt, you know, felt authentic in its portrayal. It's interesting. I'm, I'm only realizing now, just hearing you say this, that we're probably due for, I guess, not even a tidal wave of COVID entertainments coming our way, more like a tsunami, like a long rolling wave kind of, of things. And it'll be yes. interesting to see what happens because, you know, we have the data, we have the statistics on the mental health impact of COVID and it's been devastating and it's only just begun really. But at the same time, dramatically speaking, it's so boring. You know, there, it's it's a lot of, like, how do you portray people just stuck at home worrying in a way that's <laughs> dramatically palatable? Um, Linda, are you starting to see our, our COVID films and shows already? Is that already coming out? I think, yes, There's there are definitely, like, um, 
you know, there are shows that are now having kind of entire COVID centered seasons, which in some cases is probably uh, really an opportunity to do good work. And in other cases, not so much. Uh Um, I think I think the other interesting thing is just figuring out how much to acknowledge it without. Yeah. Without giving away too much, I think I can say I've been working on a fiction project myself that's sort of meant to be, you know, as with a lot of contemporary novels, the idea is like, this is roughly happening right now. And it's very hard to figure out, like, these people would all be talking still about COVID a lot. (laughs) You know, are you are you going to explicitly say this happens before that, which means it happens in another very different specific period of history? Mm-hmm. Are you saying it's happening in right now, but not in an in an alternate reality with no COVID? Or are you going to put COVID in it? And if so, how much? And yeah. it's like, it's not even, it's, I mean, there was some of this around September 11th, I think, in terms of how much to just acknowledge what would be going on around that. But this is such a long period of kind of high attention in, in mm. a lot of people's lives, disruption around, you know, for example, if you have a character who is like running a retail store and you're sort of to having them just sort of normally living a normal life and talking about their retail store and you're positing that it's 2022, well, like, what what do they do? Are they or are they not just getting off of potentially having been closed for like a year? You know what I mean? Yeah. Depending on where they are. So those things are really difficult. And I think... I think, yes, the, and sort of how much to acknowledge that long tale mm-hmm. of, of mental health consequences is, is really going to be, yeah. And, and Travel, it sounds, it sounds interesting with Queen Sugar, too, because it's the, the people who often end up writing about, here's what COVID felt like. You know, if you're going to read it in The New Yorker, it's going to be a very particular point mm-hmm. of view. It's, it's, you know, pretty mainstream and privileged. And, and it sounds like this is looking at it from an angle that a lot of people have missed. Yeah, and I think specifically with Queen Sugar, you know, I was nervous about it, to be quite honest, when I was watching the season because we were all still living through it and I did not necessarily need to see it on my TV, especially with Black folks, especially with Black rural folks who have been even more impacted, right, than those of us who live in the cities. Did not really need to see it, but they were so, they just did it so well and then you also had, you know, the normal drama, family drama type things that that factored in that made it that I think it made it kind of 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 useful and helpful for an audience to process what we're all going through together with these these different episodes. And I know other TV shows, you know, you have those TV shows. I'm thinking of like All Rise. Their last season was, you know, filmed during the pandemic. They incorporated PPE and, you know, plexiglass into the storyline, into, you know, the the legal stuff that's going on. And it it was fine, you know? But then I also think of a show, if I'm not mistaken, like Good Doctor, their first or second episode of the season was COVID specific, and then they moved away from it. And it, mm. I don't think it's been brought up, you know, since those first couple episodes. And so I think shows are definitely trying to figure out how to to address it. And I think right. so many people are bogged down with yeah. the pandemic of it all that folks yeah. want to just like hint at it and then move on. 
Yeah, the same thing, sort of the same thing happened with uh, Law & Order SVU. They they had a lot of people like wearing masks and all that stuff, but then they would like take them off in at times <laughs> when you would not take them off. And it, it makes sense because you don't necessarily want to film people wearing masks, but it was clear that they were battling with that. Like, it is COVID. It's not COVID. We're doing it. We're not doing it. Like, yeah, same thing. I agree with Travel so much about all of this. Yet another reason to want to live in a TV show. You could, like, mm-hmm. you got the nice clothes. Your hair is going to look great. And then COVID lasts for 30 minutes. And then you're, <laughs> you're, you're moving on to something else. And, it's, well, and it only it only is there when it's convenient to the story for you yeah, there, exactly. sort of. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Travel, I know as part of your uh, your rule-breaking philosophy, you had some, some other candidates... Uh, for some other uh, properties, I want to talk about those too. So I have two others. Uh, well, I have many others that came to mind, but I have two others that I think are generally positive. One of which actually names it as like as depression, and the other one not so much. And so the first one, um, there was an episode of Blackish um, a few years ago where Tracy Ellis Ross's character Bo experiences postpartum depression after having her youngest child. And I think it's called Mother Nature is the name of the episode. I think it's season season four, I believe. But that was that was an interesting way, I think, to go about having a conversation about postpartum depression, particularly with a black woman, which I don't think we we see often on screen. And that was one of the the recommendations that a lot of people who I who responded to me on Twitter also brought up as feeling as if it was authentic, as feeling as if it they balanced kind of the seriousness of it with Blackish still being a comedy. And and I watched it right before we uh, recorded. And I thought they did a great job at that balance of treating the seriousness of the issue, but also having some of those tertiary characters that made it funny. And then I particularly liked how because Bo is a mother, they also included Bo having conversations with her kids about postpartum depression and mm. what she was going through. And I felt as if Oftentimes, depression is is portrayed as a very individual thing, solitary um, thing. Yeah, yeah, and we don't we don't talk about the ways or see the ways that it that an individual's depression can also impact the folks around them as well. And that's something that I, I appreciated with that show. It's interesting in both in both Blackish and in Crazy Ex Girlfriend. It's it's almost like the creators and and the performers and the writers. They they charm you to a certain extent through the comedy to kind of let your defenses down, and then they can get to some real things, and and it can really pay off in a in a persuasive way that a, a straight up drama might not be able to get away with. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. often true, often true. And then a wonderful film that you also mentioned. I want to make sure we get to talk about that. Is uh, oh, is this a forty year old version? Yeah. Um, which just came what came out earlier this year or late last year. Don't get me to line about times. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's no. a Netflix film. You can stream it right now, written and directed and starring Rada Blank. It's a fabulous Version fabulous V-E-R-S-I-O-N, we should make clear. Yes, yes. Not the Ben Stiller. Is that Ben Stiller? In the uh, Steve, Steve Carell. Carell. Yeah. Steve Carell. There I go, mixing up my white men. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, 40-year-old version and, you know, it's a story about this, you know, middle-aged black woman who is having an identity crisis of sorts, if you will, and the ways in which they kind of show her feeling down and out, going through her process, turning to her art, rapping to be specific, um, as a means of processing and coping and, and moving through things. Again, they don't 
name it as depression. She doesn't go, you know, uh, to a doctor or anything like that. But, you know, there are some moments in the film where she's on the floor tearing up some ribs while crying that just felt very me. And I was like, this, this is me, you know, on screen. Maybe not ribs, you know, I'm a fried chicken type of girl. But... <laughs> You know, that was deeply resonant for me. So that was one I wanted to to bring up as well. That's yeah. how I feel when I watch the scene in Bridesmaids where Kristen Wiig makes one cupcake. There's a, a sequence <laughs> in Bridesmaids where she's so... Yes. She, like, it feels so genuine to me. Like, she just obsesses over making this one perfect cupcake, but then, like, she sits there and eats it, and she's still so unhappy. Yeah. Um, and this is one of the challenges, I have to say, this is one of the real challenges of, of something like that, is that they do such a beautiful job of of drawing what feels to me like a really honest moment of depression for a character. But then, of course, they don't treat it as depression, so she doesn't really address it in the ways that you would probably have to address depression. And right. that's really, like, a tricky thing about fiction, because... Like, it's much more dramatic to have somebody, like, meet someone and fall in love, and that makes them happier. Or they yeah. have a big cathartic argument with someone, and that makes them happier. As opposed to just, like, therapy, which is boring. Like, yeah. it's dramatically <laughs> and boring. And takes forever And sometimes. takes forever. And it's kind of like, you know, it's just, it's easier to just make it, like, they do yeah. something really fun <laughs> to write about. And... You know, if you've ever written therapy scenes, it's really hard not to have them just be like making all the subtext into text in a way <laughs> right. that's not super interesting to read. So it's it's complicated. It's complicated. Yeah, it's well, there's you know, I, I've talked about this a lot before. It's so non-dramatic. I mean, I don't mean drama as opposed to the opposite of comedy, but like how you would write a play. How would you c construct a scene? Because it, how do you write about all the things going on in someone's head? How do you write about just the the low thrum of malaise that lasts for years? It's It doesn't exactly spark a scene along. But then if it's untruthful, then you kind of are stuck with that as well. It's uh, someone who is has experienced depression can write about it honestly, but uh, it might mm -hmm. not make for, for a good film. So it's, well, it's yeah. threading a needle. And when you do see therapy, it's often like revelation based, similar to like Goodwill Hunting. There's a lot about the representation of therapy in Goodwill Hunting that I actually like. I think the fact that he shows this kind of defensive resistance to to therapy and the fact that the doctor has to kind of wait him out, some of that I think is actually quite good. But the idea of like the single revelation that that opens everything up and then after that you feel better. Yeah. Um, and, and you are then repaired in a certain way is actually like that's generally not how therapy works. Therapy tends to be kind of an ongoing process of skill building and all that kind of stuff. That's not it's not a matter of like somebody getting you to say, yes, I blame myself for X and Y and Z. And then then you're like, oh, OK. And then yeah. and then it's like, oh, phew, whew. And yeah. then you stop going to therapy and you feel better and you just, you know, your mental health is fixed. We had Patton Oswald on the first episode of this show, and, and he talked about that scene as like, okay, you know, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Well, you're cured. Ha go off right. and have a healthy life. <laughs> he, he said a real therapist would say, we're going to do five sessions a week now because- Yes, exactly. <laughs> now right. Now it's exactly. all ripped open. Now we got to fix this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's good representation of mental health presents real narrative challenges, I'm just going to say. 
So that's our rundown on some movies and TV that get it right. But we need to hear about the flip side, too. We need to, to yang that yin. In just a moment, getting mental health wrong. All right. Well, then, then let's um, let's get negative here. Let's take the bloom off the rose. Let's talk about people who messed up, or at least wrote something that that struck you as as a little bit more dishonest. And Travel, we're going to start with you this time. Okay. Who are you bringing the pain for? <laughs> Another disclaimer. Again, I don't. I don't know. To me, this is bad because because it's not named, because it is the catalyst for the depression is like super big and dramatic and traumatic. And so the one that I'm going with is Precious. And in particular, Monique's character. In I mean, everybody in Precious is working through something. But I want to focus on Monique's character, the mother character, who is like, She's quote unquote lazy. She sits in one chair all day. She's deeply abusive to her daughter and granddaughter. And the catalyst for all of this is her her husband, her child's father, abusing her and then abusing the daughter and having a kid with the daughter. And the reason why I'm considering it bad is because it is it it goes to what we were talking about about, you know, a lot of these depression related narratives being like super dramatic, super like overblown and and big and how a lot of times, you know, the catalyst for depression doesn't it doesn't have to be something deeply traumatic. It can be very small or quote unquote small in various ways. Um, and though I believe that, you know, Monique acted her ass off in that role, to be clear, as did Gabourey Sidibe, that was one of the ones that came to me as like, you're showing somebody who's working through stuff, but like they're being deeply abusive um, mm. in it. Um, and in a lot of ways, the character kind of justifies how she's being abusive toward her daughter and granddaughter because mm-hmm. of the abuse she suffered as well. And so the just kind of the the setup of all of it was concerning, you know, thinking back on it. Do you think it's a matter of the the writer or the actor, or the director not specifying exactly what's going on or like in sort of painting it as a wash of of mental illness and capital letters without really drilling down into it? Yeah, I mean, I think they, and I think we see this oftentimes in a lot of films, right? It is, it's never named as depression. And so it allows us as audience members to kind of assign our own language to what we're seeing on screen. Um, And oftentimes, particularly in Black communities, we don't go to, to mental health as the cause of the problem. We just say, you know, you got a trash man that you need to get away from. Right. You know, like we we just don't make those associations sometimes. And I think that is a little bit of what's happening here. You know, the none of the characters, for the most part, are really afforded the opportunity to, like, sit down and talk with somebody who is able to say, this is what you're going through. These are some ways to cope and come out on the other side. All of the characters are kind of left to 
to deal and cope on their own. And luckily, Gabourey Sidibe's character, quote unquote, luckily, Gabourey Sidibe's character seems to, to be able to pull herself out on the other end because of her child. But like, you know, you shouldn't have to have a child to be able to be happy. You know, right. <laughs> no. or to manage yourself in the world. Yeah. Right. You know, Linda Holmes, from the notes you sent me, you're taking on a huge franchise all at once. And I want to I want to clear back and let you take this franchise. Yeah. So uh, when I thought about these kinds of portrayals and the ones that I don't like, I think you can find a lot that are inaccurate and a lot that are even narratively weak and narratively don't make sense and, you know, lazy but I think if you're talking about the portrayals that have done the most harm, I think it is the the equating of mental health problems of certain types with a propensity for violence. And so I chose the Law & Order franchise, not because every episode that they have done has been wrong or equally wrong or whatever, but because I think police procedurals in general, for a long time, the only time practically that you would see a psychiatrist on television was when they were talking about a, a dangerous criminal. And so mm -hmm. there are so many episodes in that franchise where a, a person's just kind of senseless, vicious violence is associated with mental health problems of some kind. That I think, you know, even if you were to posit that it was correct that in certain cases you run into people who have mental health challenges, having those be the portrayals of mental health on television yeah. has been incredibly damaging, I think. And it's, you know, a lot of it has been schizophrenia. Some of it has been the, the I think, across the board, historically appalling pop culture portrayals of dissociative identity disorder, what, what they would call multiple personalities. Or people conflating schizophrenia with dissociative Absolutely. identity Absolutely. So there's just a ton of really dangerous, bad stuff that has gone on around the conflating of mental illness and violence. And it, it doesn't mean that there's never, that that never happens. It just means that it has, it is way, I think way more, I'll just say this. Out of all the mental health stuff that you see on television, a hugely disproportionate part of it, at least up until maybe the last few years, maybe less so as you see more shows like like Crazy Ex-Girlfriend or, you know, mm -hmm. like You're the Worst is another one that I think had a lot of really good stuff in it about kind of, you know, mental health outside of that context. When the context for mental health is so often violent crime, yeah, I think yeah. that poach people poaching in that for decades has been hugely harmful and so it's less about the episode level how did you do it how did you handle it in this story or this story it's more just that this context for most of our or our cultural portrayals of mental illness for a long time has been i think really damaging well it's discriminatory against people who who deal with mental health issues which is a lot of people and I should I often point out that statistically people with a mental illness are far far more likely to be victims of violence than right. they are to be perpetrators of violence right. but it strikes me too that it's it's just lazy you know it's just bad storytelling to I mean it's unfair to just exploit 
actual problems people are having for your dramatic device, but mm-hmm. it's just uh, it's lazy and nonspecific as well. I also think about the with Law and Order specifically how it's been on TV for what three decades at this yeah. point overall, and how they keep recycling for the most part the same storylines, you know, every season or so. And and how you're right, I think, that because of the the longevity of the series, it makes up the bulk of, of representation when we start talking about mental health. And it perpetuates a lot of the stigma around mental health, right? By and sheer volume why, of episodes. Yeah, and and, it, and why people don't don't talk about it publicly, why people don't seek help because of all of the, the, the stigma that a show like Law & Order can perpetuate as it relates to mental health. It can also be kind of, you know, a lot of times these are not the mental health challenges that a lot of people really have, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or that the, you know, again, some people have them, but it's not proportional, right? Yeah. You, you don't see mental health primarily through the lens of things like depression and anxiety and suicidal ideation. You see mental health primarily through what are often, I think, portrayed as kind of, ooh, that's so weird. Exotic. It's an exoticizing yeah. of, of mental health challenges in a way that I think is is really not accurate to you know, the the proportion of how, and you know, when you talk about why do people not seek out help, it's partly because I think for a long time, mental health challenges were presented as a very exotic, as you say, a very sort of, you know, weird, yeah. you know, you're crazy, you're dangerous, people shouldn't want to be around you, they shouldn't, you know, it's, it's just a very, I think, ugh. it's just, yeah. it's, it's no good. Well, I, I think it's you know, a classic case of something that is the other being inherently frightening. And in this case, you know, something might happen to my brain that that changes my reality. And that's scary to me. So I'm going to make it as scary as possible to everybody else right. in the writing about it. It's used as a way to create monsters. And that's yeah. a very that's a very dangerous thing to do. And we should say that with Law and Order, that we're applying this specifically to only about eight thousand episodes or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just this very narrow band of thousands of hours of television. Mm-hmm. 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 Well, Travel Anderson, Linda Holmes, thank you so much for your time. And I, I think what what inspires me here is that we've talked about the the uh, the baked in problem with trying to convey these things dramatically when they are often banal and undramatic and isolating and non-interactive. But then we've also found examples where, yeah, you could do that. People have figured out how to do that. Might need to work a little bit harder. Mm -hmm. You can get it done. So that's that's my hope I'm taking away. Yep. Yep. It's doable. And I I do think there are more good portrayals than there used to be. There are still lousy yeah. ones, but I feel like there are more good ones than there used to be. And I wonder about how much of this, the increased positive representations are also connected to how in pop culture, we're having more conversations about mental health. We're having more conversations about therapy and encourage people, encouraging people to, to do things, you know, to, to seek out the help that they need. And so, yeah, I think we cross our fingers for more positive representations. All right. That's why we get up and go to work. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, John. Thank you. Just ahead, our listeners, the Preshies themselves, with some picks from Japanese animation, tragic comedy of the 70s, and a rapper in peril. 
Congratulations, you've won a ticket to attend an exclusive opportunity in a relaxing environment with two lovers. <laughs> wow. Well, this sounds like a sort of proposition of sorts, but really it's an ad for our podcast. Wonderful. It's a show we do here on Maximum Fun where we talk about things that we like and things that we're into. I'm Rachel McElroy, and you just heard Griffin McElroy, and we are excited for you to join us as we talk about movies and music and books. Things like sneezing or the idea of rain. (laughs) (laughs) Can you get news or information you can use? Absolutely you cannot, because we're here to talk to you about pumpernickel bread. You can find new episodes on Wednesdays. So catch, catch the wave! Hey there, beautiful people. Did you hear that good, good news? Something about the baby Jesus? Mm, he's coming back. Or do you mean the fact that <laughs> Apple Podcasts has named Fanti one of the best shows of 2020? I mean, we already knew that we was hot stuff, but a little external validation never hurts, okay? Hosted by me, writer and journalist Jared Hill. And me, the ebony enchantress myself, <laughs> <laughs> Travel Anderson. Fanti is your home for complex conversations about the gray areas in our lives, the people, places, and things we're huge fans of, but got some anti-feelings toward. You name it, we fanti you. Nobody's off limits. Check us out every Thursday on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your Slayworthy audio. We're talking about entertainment that gets mental illness right and wrong. We put out that question to our Facebook group, Preshies, And we got a lot of wonderful answers. Here's what some of you had to say. Hi, this is Emily from Minneapolis. I recently saw the original Odd Couple movie with Jack Lemmon and Walter Matthau for the first time. Having grown up with the TV show, I was not expecting the movie to start with Felix being actively suicidal. Jack Lemmon's nuanced portrayal shows us what it's like to have obsessive compulsive disorder and anxiety. The scene where Felix repeatedly clears his throat in a restaurant is painful to watch. Walter Matthau shows us both his genuine concern for his friend and his increasing frustration with Felix's behavior. It's not just about being a neat freak. I empathized with both characters, and I liked how there was no forced happy ending to the film. I highly recommend it. This is Michaela in Portland, Maine. I really appreciate the Ted Lasso storyline about Ted's mental health. In particular, his experience of panic attacks mirrors what I have seen in my teenage daughter's experience. And I'm also really impressed by the way they're handling his uneasy relationship with um, the idea of needing therapy. Hi, my name's Corey, and I live in Granite Falls, Washington. I really do not like the movie Silver Linings Playbook. I feel like it is a terrible portrayal of bipolar and mental illness. And in the movie, those things are treated like something that love will just heal. Um, And I feel like that's actually kind of damaging to a lot of people. That said, I was in a pretty bad place when I watched it, and I haven't seen it since then. So I'm sure there are other perspectives, but that's how it felt to me. Thanks so much, and I really love the show. Hi, this is Anna from Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. I listened to the podcast Amani's State of Mind last year, and she did a pop culture mental illness segment every episode. The show Dave has episodes going into Gaeta's mental illness, and they are spot on. It really shows his bipolar and the struggles that he's had, and also just kind of how it works in his professional life and his friendships. Um, This season had a really interesting episode 
about him spiraling and other people seeing it as him acting out because of his mental illness and him seeing it as them not taking him seriously because of his mental illness is really interesting and really well done. Hi there, my name's Jules. I'm from New Haven, Connecticut. And a show that I think didn't quite get mental illness right is 13 Reasons Why. I never really liked how they portrayed suicidal ideation as a means to seek revenge or that there is a specific list of reasons to point to. Because for most people, that isn't the case. And if it was, it probably would be a lot easier to get treatment. Not to mention a lot of the scenes in that show were very triggering to people who have experienced suicidal ideation or have been sexually assaulted for that matter. So overall, I don't think it was a very accurate or nuanced portrayal of mental illness. Hi, John. This is Annie from Waltham. A movie I feel portrays depression really well is Kiki's Delivery Service. And yes, this is an animated movie about a young witch who starts a flying broom-based delivery service. The main character moves to a new city, starts a business, makes some new friends, and then gets hit with a mental and emotional block. She can't fly anymore, can't communicate with her cat, and says that, I think something's wrong with me, everything seems fine, and I make friends, and then I just can't bear to be around people. For me, that really hits what mental health problems are about. Like, they're not based on one particular incident and can seem to come from nowhere. Uh, Kiki's problem is less about a specific challenge she encounters than about her own body and mind's response to this new stress of her new life in the city. Um, again, this is an animated movie about a teen witch, so it ends with a lot of hope, um, but it doesn't negate the feelings Kiki has. Uh, thanks so much for this show and your discussions about mental health. I'm glad you're here. You can join our Facebook group, The Preshies. Just head on over to Facebook and search for that word. You'll find it. Next time on Depression Mode, Janet Varney is a wonderful comedian, podcast host, and actor. She was not in Being John Malkovich, but she kind of was. It was chilling for me when Catherine Keener and John Cusack are crawling through a tunnel and looking out through Malkovich's eyes. That is sort of what it feels like. It feels like you're in someone else's body. Everything you're doing, you're sort of having to cut through and seem normal, in air quotes, while you are having this existential crisis. Janet Varney's experiences with depersonalization disorder. If people support our show through a small donation, we can keep making the show. If not, we can't. So if you donate, you are making Depression Mode happen, and we thank you. If you haven't donated yet, it's easy. You can find a level that works for you. Go to MaximumFun.org join. We love it when you recommend Depression Mode to friends. Also, something that matters a lot, hit subscribe, give us five stars, write reviews. That helps more people find out about the show, which helps our mission of getting those conversations going out there in the world. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free, at 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free and always available. Text HOME to 741-741. Let us know who you want me to interview, what issues you want to hear more about. We take requests. You can send us an electric mail at depressmode at maximumfun.org. Not maximumfun.com. That won't work. Do the org. Depression mode at maximumfun.org. 
If you're on Facebook, look up that mental health discussion group, Preshies. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressionPod. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. Hello, credits listeners. Some animal trivia. Dogs can be pretty smart, but not all that smart because they're dogs. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building wings No This is Gina from Virginia. You matter, so please be kind to yourself. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.